In closing out the year, one of the things that I look at is, am I holding in value the things that Scripture held in value? And am I uh, attempting to live my life like believers of Scripture lived? And one of the tensions that I feel is that it appears to me in the New Testament that they expected the Lord's return at any time. I expect him to come back. I don't know how soon I expect him, so to speak. And so there's a a tension. I'm trying to go, okay, am I appropriately tuned into this? Or do I need to adjust my thinking somewhat? And there is a phrase uh, that was used in one of the translations in 1 Corinthians 16. It was Maranatha. And, O Lord, come, or our Lord comes. There was enough tension on how to interpret it that some of the translations just left it Maranatha. And in that same, same verse is another word that they weren't sure what to deal with, so they said anathema, which is, um, is like being accursed. And so you have this twin tension, but in some ways that describes some of the feeling I have when I... Uh, I had an experience recently with a person that I know that had offended someone else that I knew, and I was angry at them because they'd hurt my friend. And I had a contact, and I felt like the Lord said, you have no right to carry this when that person needs me. You know, it's like, if I truly have a compassion for people, I'm going to have a compassion for this person's soul that goes beyond that offense. And it was something that I had to look at and say, you're right, you know, I, I've had a bad attitude in this. And, and that happens, <laughs> I have bad attitudes in several areas that like this, where I have friends on Facebook that the impression I get for them is that they'd be happier if I wasn't living. My friends. You know, because I'm white and I have evangelical roots. And (laughs) a lot of times it's coming out like, what are you doing living here? And I'm going, well, get over it. I'm here, you know. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and it's like, well, you believe this and you're, you're, no, that's, you're lumping me in a big group that I don't like being lumped quite this way. But at the same time, if I don't have a compassion for their soul, something is very wrong. And it needs to override any other feelings of frustration that I may hold. You know, that if somebody is still in contact with me and willing to talk to me, then I need to be willing to carry a, a thirst for their salvation. And, you know, that... That's one of the tensions that I feel, you know, when I'm, when I'm dealing with different ones, you know, it's like, okay, is my heart really tuned in the way that God is tuned in? Because what I find in Scripture is that there is not the gray area between life and death that I would like to put in there, you know, where, you know, are, is God going to embrace the life that they're living and what they're... Oh, no, who knows, maybe. <laughs> that way, it keeps me from having to really face the issues. 
You know, that it's that either they have embraced Christ or they haven't. You know, it's easier for me to, to live with a gray that just says, well, not my responsibility. I don't know. You know, it's just beyond my thinking. You know, and, and that's a tension that I feel because Scripture wasn't built that way. In some ways, you know, when you have Jesus talking about hell more than anyone else, I better not just dismiss it as a non-reality, right? Or if in the Old Testament you have this place of blessing and curses, um, it's, it's building this case that says the favor of God exceeds anything that we can imagine because he's wiser, smarter, stronger, more capable and so what he brings to the equation is much more than anything we have. On the negative side, you don't want to get him upset because he's stronger, wiser, more capable, bigger than anything we can do. And so they understood that in Scripture. And so there was a, 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 a fitting with that responsibility, so to speak. Paul, when he's writing near the end of the First Corinthians, now, most of the letter had been corrective because he's dealing with some issues in a church that he'd helped plant, but there were some goofinesses in, in their thinking, and they had taken life going well as meaning it's all full of blessing, and they had slid into some things of, of liberal thought in the sense of doing whatever they wanted to do and saying, well, God will bless it anyway. And he's going, no, that's not how it works. But he, he comes to the end of it and he says, if anyone has no love for our Lord, let him be accursed. And I'm going, that's pretty strong. But then he goes, our Lord, come. And, and, and the next verse, may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you in all, Christ Jesus, amen. And, I, and I'm the, the impression I've got, it isn't just saying, well, go to hell, you know. You don't love God, go to hell, you know. But the rest of us, we're looking forward to God. That's not the impression I have. But he says, that's the position of life for someone that hasn't embraced God. And, and so there is a, there's a need for a, a, a compassion in our hearts that says the lost need to encounter Christ. Um, this whole term of this accursed or anathema, um, it started out as a term of something devoted to something or, or set aside not to be used for any other purposes. And then its meaning grew and such, but it's, it's like... There's a separation. There's a, a disconnect. It's by itself. And also then, you know, out of that, they, they carried ideas of like excommunication, separated from the group, or cut off. And, and that whole idea, you know, was kind of tied to this, if that's the position you're in of refusing Christ, then you are away from him. There isn't this gray, maybe connected, maybe not connected, maybe there, maybe not. You know, it's, that's not the way Scripture presents it to us. 
He says in 1 Corinthians, all right, let me hit the one in Romans first. He says, I wish that I myself were cursed or cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. So this is the heart that he carries in one of his other writings. He's going, you know what, if, if it meant, if my life being separated from God would allow everyone else to step in, that's what I would wish for. It's just, you know, it would be a better thing for everyone to participate. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, If we said before and say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him be separated. This just doesn't work together. 1 Corinthians 12. I want you to understand no one speaking in the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed or cut off or separated. No one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. So he's saying when you embrace God and the, and the Spirit is, is working in your heart, a true sign of that is the recognition of Jesus as Lord. Now, let's, uh, I want to build a bit of a, a case for this. In the Old Testament, the, the kind of the establishment of faith and understanding of the gospel that the gospel of Jesus Christ came out of. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were told, you're to go to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and you're to recite the blessings and the curses that are open to you as a result of this covenant that we have together. So when they entered into this relationship with God and said, okay, we'll be your people, he says, okay, that means some things. He says, when you live for me, there is going to be blessing that exceeds anything you can imagine. He says, when you don't live for me, there's going to be trouble beyond anything you can imagine. And what they were told to do is they were to go where these two mounts were narrow, and it was like a natural amphitheater. And so they built this altar, and they wrote down the blessings and curses that were available to them. And they read all of that for the people so that everybody could be clear as to how God dealt with them. And so they're all sitting in this natural amphitheater. And again, you may be talking a couple million people, but they were still able to hear. I mean, it's an astounding setting that's been shown to, to, that it, that's actually possible as far as just the, the way it's built naturally. So that said... They have these blessings and curses, and they go through the blessings, which usually, that's what I like to hone on when I'm talking with you guys, because it's not nearly as much fun as the curses. <laughs> but I want to give you a taste this morning. <laughs> uh, and we're not going to read them all, and you can say thank you very much, because it's extensive. But uh, it says, if you will, this is starting with the 15th verse. He's already gone through the blessings, and he goes, If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So he says, starting with verse 16, you'll be cursed in the city and in the field. There's not much in between, right? Uh, basket and bowl, whatever you store stuff in, save stuff in, whatever you prepare your food in, it's all going to have curse connected with it. Uh, the fruit of your womb, the fruit of the ground, 
fruit of your flocks. Cursed. Uh, coming and going. <laughs> Whether you're coming or going, there's going to be a curse resting over your life. Curses, confusion, frustration. It says, until you're destroyed or, and perish. And you're going to see this phrase in there fairly regular. Uh, pestilence, yeah, that's coming. Wasting disease, fever, inflammation, fiery heat, drought, blight, mildew, until you perish. Heavens are going to be bronze, earth is going to be like iron. Rain, well, that's just going to be powder, dust, until you are destroyed. Defeated by enemies, uh, your body, well, it's going to be food for the birds and the beasts. Boils, tumors, scabs, itch, no healing. Madness, blindness, confusion. You're going to blindly grope around at noonday. You shall not prosper. You shall be oppressed and robbed continually. No one to help you. Your fiance, yeah, she's going to be ravished by another. Build a house, somebody else is going to live in it. Plant a vineyard, you're not going to enjoy the fruit. Your ox is going to be slaughtered, you're not going to get to eat it. Your donkey's going to be seized, it's not going to be given back to you. Sheep are going to be given to your enemies. There will be no help for you. Sons and daughters are going to be taken. Another nation will oppress and crush, driven mad by what you see. You're going to have boils from head to toil and exile. Uh, they knew how to write it out, didn't they? I mean, that's, that's intense. Um, it says, you shall become a horror and a proverb. You know, <laughs> you remember so-and-so? You really want that to happen to you? That would be a proverb. Um, and a byword among the peoples. In other words, do you remember? <laughs> you don't want that. The Lord will lead you away. Okay, now you might think that's fairly extensive. That covered less than 15 verses, right? Or roughly, um, maybe 20. Verses 38 through 68 are still remaining. I'm not going to read those. It's painting this picture of saying you're either going to embrace God and live under his blessing or you're going to step away and experience his wrath. That's, that's the tension. And so that's, in a sense, that Old Testament preparation for understanding of the work that Christ would do when he'd come and bring forgiveness for our sins and salvation. That's the understanding that's of what's available. You know, it's like either or. And so you have this wonderful thing when Christ comes into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, it's, it's that, that thing of you, were, you have been living under this anger, but that can be removed and brought into favor if you return. If you receive him. And so, you know, when we when we walk through those, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So when when we're looking at that and, and we're dealing with that tension, there's this awareness that sometimes when when we come to Christ. We're so used to living with things going wrong that we have no clue that it can start going right. You know, or that we're just 
something else is going to go bad. Well, no, that's not necessarily appropriate thinking. But when, when people live under the, the, the anger of the Lord, lives do fall apart. Things grow wrong. There is a destruction that comes. And the awareness that we can have for our own hearts is that God doesn't want that to continue. He would rather see it changed. And so when I'm feeling this tension, like with friends that I have that, that are living profanely and, and wreaking havoc on lives, there's still this heart in me that says, I want to see it changed. I need to see it straightened out. I don't want to see them continue to experience destruction. And in that, I can still carry this hope. It says, Lord, come quickly because I have an incredible hope in him. And I have this expectation of him setting things right. And I have this eternal anticipation of what my life will be with him, but it it can't be carried along with a selfishness that says, well, I got mine, who cares about you? But rather, it needs to be carried along with the eyes of Christ that sees a lost and desperate people that needs to turn to him. I want to read a few other verses in Philippians um, in, in chapter 4, we're all, we're all aware of the verse, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Um, the, the chapter starts out where Paul's pleading with two women to get along. Two women in the church apparently have been crabbing at each other. And he, he's going, you're good ladies, don't do this. And he goes into this rejoice in the Lord always, and then he goes, let your moderation or reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So he's, he's linking this idea of God's coming. Live your life like that. And the, the reasonableness or moderation is like, learn how to get along with others. You know, <laughs> Jesus is coming. Do you really want to act like this? And, and, and in that term also is that you don't want to get caught up in the excesses of life. You want to live your life in a way that has this in mind of, of him coming. James has a similar idea. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious food or the fruit of the earth, being patient about it till he receives early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the, Lord, the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says, well, just like farmers have to plant their seed and wait, and they anticipate rain to, to take care of it, he says, you've got to kind of live your life that way as well. You know Christ is coming back. So live your life with that patience that says, I'll wait for his return to set things in order. It's interesting that he, there's an, a, a judgment verse kind of attached with this principle as well. Don't grumble against one another 
so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So again, Christ's return is either going to be a time of great joy or great sorrow, depending on which side of the fence you're on. So in the New Testament, they're linking this idea that, yeah, be patient and live with this anticipation of his return because it's going to be awesome. But also know that on the wrong side that this is, this is a, a time of judgment as well, and it's a very dangerous season. Thessalonians. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So again, may God establish your heart and develop in you the things necessary so that when he comes, there's great joy. Later in that same book, concerning the times and the season, brothers, you have no need for anything written to you. You don't need to get all worked up over New Year's. <laughs> My interpretation. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He says it's going to come at a time when you just really don't expect it. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. You're all children of light. He says, the Lord's coming isn't to, to catch you off guard, but rather prepare your heart and know that you're ready for the time. Children of the day. I like that phrase. <laughs> you children of the day? Hopefully. Then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. And he works on this sober idea. You ever wake up and, and you're just not even sure what day it is? Or not even, you're not real clear as to where you're at? Every now and then I'll have one of those experiences. <laughs> I must be nuts, you know, because <laughs> you wake up and you're just not sure what's going on. He kind of carries that over even into like... Um, an illustration of drunkenness, you know, where you're just like, you're awake, but you're just not sure what's going on. And he says, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of salvation. So he says, let's clothe ourselves with the things that allow us to enter into the spiritual battle, so to speak, in health. Clothing ourselves with faith and love and the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. So I guess in summary... I fully believe that there are two extremes, okay? And either we face the judgment of God in desperation and sorrow, or we look forward in anticipation and joy of his return and reward, so to speak. 
And when we, when we watch our friends around us, there ought to be something in our hearts that says, I want you to come with me. I want you to participate with me. There, there, we don't have enough time to waste to spending grudges over what someone's done to someone else or maybe even bad attitudes toward us. It's just not, there's not enough time for that. We just want to be careful to just keep praying for God to, to shed his light in their hearts and bring transformation. Lord, each of us has friends that are lost and need you. And we pray that even as we enter into this new year, that this might be the year where we're able to help assist some of them in finding the joy that's available in you. We thank you that you extend such favor into our lives. We thank you for the peace that is ours. We thank you that you've brought joy into our setting. We thank you, Lord, that you've developed in us an appreciation of others that allows community Lord, let your work be known in powerful ways in days ahead. Amen. If you believe in the God of creation, who made all things, has authority over all things, still has his hand in that creation, guiding and directing it, then you obviously conclude that he's bigger than you, right? that big God with knowledge and power that exceeds anything that you have as he brings something to the equation that you can't just treat like another person you can't treat him as an equal you have to recognize that his favor is going to exceed anything that you can dream possible it just does he thinks bigger than us his disfavor is going to affect you more deeply than anything you would want. But we have that opportunity to choose him. What a, what a privilege and honor that he draws us to him and doesn't refuse us. But he chooses to say, I want relationship with you. It's going to affect everything in life. It just has to. Because of the size of who we're dealing with. blessing rests on these you people. May they discover with joy the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they experience your salvation in all its dimensions. Thank you that you wash away our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I ask as each one goes into the community that you give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. They would be loving toward all. I ask that you will gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray.